Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Well, not our favorite way to start the show, Kevin. Uh, there's been some difficulties in Calgary uh, with the bubble and a few cases of COVID. How are you holding up? Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly uh, not the way you want it to be for the final event. Everything's went so well here at the bubble for all these weeks. And yeah, now to have positive cases, it's scary. And uh, I'm hanging in there. We're, we're in our room uh, isolating right now and then hoping things uh, get better. Uh, Warren, we hope it does get better and not worse. Uh, but... <sighs> Well, we're going to have to cross our fingers. It's certainly a touch-and-go situation, and I think we all hope it, it works out. We're so close to the end of this marathon that we've been on since February, and let's cross our fingers that uh, we can have a good finish. Well, the right guy to talk to about all this, and we're going to bring him on uh, in a minute, is Nolan Thiessen, who is the Director of Broadcasting and Marketing for the CCA, amongst many other things he's doing. But this is the guy who's been dealing with all this COVID situation down in Calgary, and we'll talk to him coming right up. Last rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Line's good. Right on the button, guys. Right Last here. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out. As a champion, cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. So on the show today, boys, uh, we always have lots, uh, whether we can get to all of it, because we've got a great interview coming up later on with Bruce Mowat. Is, uh, we're going to get to talk to him. He, all he's doing is winning everything in sight. That'll be great. A lot of things going on in Calgary. Uh, we need to talk to you guys about that in the, with the Women's Worlds. Canada having some difficulty here as it got underway. But right now, there's been uh, not the greatest news happening uh, down at the Women's Worlds. There's been some cases of covid uh, so we want to bring on uh, Nolan Thiessen, who is involved in the broadcast of all this stuff. Nolan, uh, it can't be great for you. How, how are you managing all this? And can you give us an update on what's happening down there? Well, I mean, yeah, we're managing kind of um, according to our protocols that we had set up, right? Where we've, uh, you know, when we have a case, um, you know, we we isolate and um, uh, and continue to test and see how widespread you know, it, it could be, um, you know, we have a lot of protocols in place with mask wearing and, uh, you know, all the best health practices to try to, if there is a case, to not have significant uh, spread of, of the virus. But I think the safety and, uh, you know, abundance of caution went out where, you know, they needed to sort of have the blue zone, kind of just stay at the hotel for a couple of days um, and, and do extra testing to try to see 
how far this this could be and and as such that's why they're curling without uh not on tv right now of course i'm in the blue zone so the blue zone is the broadcast group and the players officials coaches they're in the green group are the protocols the same like so if, if i'm coming into into the bubble to work as a broadcaster when a curler comes in are the rules the same for both how's it work we had a, a bit of a difference in terms of uh, a domestic versus international. So, we, you know, with this being an international event, everybody had to be there seven days in advance, provide a, a negative test within 72 hours of departure. Um, you know, they had multiple tests while in isolation and then, um, you know, multiple tests throughout the championship to continue to make sure that there's no additional virus and, and it's not sort of, dormant and and or you know you just recently got it because i think some of the the science was that you know i mean you're maybe contagious for 48 hours before you show a positive test so that's what we're working through but yeah you know the the protocols were were very similar for the two um we're just in different hotels so there's there's really no shared space in that way so a question that uh we're getting asked on our Facebook group. The information out here that's given to the public says if you're in contact with anybody who tests positive, you have to isolate for 14 days. But that doesn't seem to be the situation there. Is there something different with regard to the event you're doing or do you know how that situation works? Well, I mean, the isolation for 14 days in general, I think is, you know, isolate for 14 days. And if you show symptoms or signs, then we'll get you a test, right? I think there's a significant amount of additional testing that is done within our event, you know, while in isolation, it's not just, you know, isolate for 14 days and see if you develop any symptoms and then we'll let you go. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's more testing and and that can lower the amount of time, but I mean, even still like, you know, with the arrivals that that we had the issue on the on the athlete side. I mean, they added in additional testing with rapid testing as well as um, additional PCR testing every day for them um, in order to just make sure that um, it wasn't they didn't have the virus and, and it showed up. You know, ten, eleven, twelve days later. Uh, the curlers are on the ice. Are you able to look at some other option to televise some of these games? You know, World Curling Television um, is looking at at that, and, and I mean, they have they have multiple broadcast contracts with multiple broadcasters throughout the world. So, I mean, it, it, you know, a lot of people say I've heard the you know set up two iPads at the end of the rink, and then at least we have a feed. But I mean, that could you know violate agreements, which you know World Curling Television and the World Curling Federation has no desire to obviously violate uh, broadcast agreements that they have with broadcasters throughout the world. Because of what's going on there, Nolan, uh, and we got to let you go, but will there be more frequent testing? Um, like how long does it take to get a result, for example? Uh, well, we're using some private labs that has turned around um, in, you know, 12 to, to 24 hours. It, it obviously there's a lot of testing being done in this province at the moment. So there's, there's quite a bit um, happening right now, but um, yeah, there, there is additional testing being done both of the, the athletes and the, in the officials and everybody in the green zone, as well as people in the blue zone to just make sure that, um, you know, the virus is contained. So this has all worked out pretty well up until now. I think you guys need to be congratulated for making it a success. And a question, if you had to do it all over again, is there anything that you might look at doing differently than uh, was set up? 
Honestly, uh, that's a question for probably a couple of weeks from now. Um, you know, I think it was said by by someone in Kirling, Canada, you know, I think we we had, we've never ran an event and, you know, even the World Curling Federation, like they've never ran a world championship where there isn't somebody working there that hasn't done this before, right? There's continuity throughout. This was the first year that we ever ran a bubble. And as much as we got learnings from the NHL, we got learnings from our friends at Hockey Canada, we took as much information as we possibly could. But I mean, the other thing with it is, is this virus has changed since we've started. You know, there was, there was the word variant was barely even in the lexicon in, in February when we started three months ago, let alone when we put the protocols together last fall. So, I mean, there's, um, there's always learnings that you can have with every event. Um, so, I mean, you know, if we'll, we'll take time to, to look afterwards and see what we could do and the way that this virus is going who knows what what happens in the future whether or not you need to do this again i think when we first set this up every hope was that this is the only time we'd ever have to do it but you never know so i mean if we ever had to do this again yeah of course we would we would have learnings that we would probably you know some things that we would do minorly different i mean we made changes throughout where when we put things in place and and, you know logistically or, or operationally we needed to do something a little different to make people safer, we did. Um, so, I mean, we would do that again. Nolan, uh, thanks very much for coming on. We, I, I, I can't imagine how much stress you're under right now to try and straighten this out, to try and fix it, to get updates every hour. We really appreciate it. And uh, all the best going forward, Nolan. Congratulations, like Warren said, I'm pulling this off so far. And, uh, and good luck the rest of the way. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll uh, hopefully chat with you soon about something a, a little more fun. Uh, that was Nolan Thiessen, uh, who we just had on, who gave us an update about what's going on with uh, COVID down there. It hasn't been great. Uh, things were sailing along uh, until some positive tests uh, in, in the last few days. So they're trying to keep this all together. Uh, he's in, in charge of the broadcast center there. Kevin, you've, uh, you were directly affected by this, of course, because you are a broadcaster. Are you getting updates on this, Kevin, right now with, with what's going to happen? Well, the what what's going to happen? I just don't think anybody really knows. But I was actually calling um, uh, with Jill Officer. We were calling the uh, uh, China Japan game, and and at the end of the game, uh, I just went to do an interview through a translator with the team China skip. And uh, anyway, so I just go to my position, and and that and all of a sudden we're not doing an interview. Go back, close off the show quickly. And everybody's going into quarantine. So it was that fast, like immediate to the hotel and that's it. And uh, so, and I've been in quarantine, isolation quarantine since as the entire crew has. So, you know what, Um, they take everything very serious, which is great. And, but I'm still, yeah, I've been in the room ever since. And, and uh, we got tested that day, got tested the next morning and getting tested this morning. I haven't been tested yet, but I will be in about uh, another hour. And then, uh, I guess when all those tests come back, then it's a reevaluation of, okay, where are we at? Do we have more positives? Do we not? Do we, like, what's happening? And, and then, of course, with the results, if everybody's negative, we'll probably go back broadcasting. If people are positive, then obviously there's more work to do. Well, hopefully better things to come uh, down the road. Uh, let's move on to some more positive talk. Kevin, give us your thoughts so far on the women's uh, curling. Canada not doing great. We were talking last night, Kevin, you said, no, I think we're okay. Don't worry about it. She's, she's played some tough teams and got easier teams to play ahead of her right now. So give us your summary, Kev, of the whole thing. 
Well, yeah, and uh, hopefully uh, Team Canada can can get their get their game going a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit better. It's kind of funny, you know. You look at the stats, and and it's, it's sort of a usually the team will everybody's going good, everybody, but it's sort of been one person will curl good and somebody else not, and it's not always the same person who's who's kind of faltering, and so that's kind of a uh, not a good situation for somebody in a, in a world championship. But the teams that you would expect to be doing well, Team Sweden, Team Switzerland, and of course Scotland, Eve Muirhead, um, RCF again doing very well with Alina Kovaleva. Um, you know, the, the front runners are, are do, not surprising. Um, but for Team Canada, it is a surprise uh, losing that much early. You know, everybody's, I, I get a million messages. What's going on with Canada? Well, What's going on is that the rest of the countries are, are putting a lot of time and effort and, and resources into curling because curling is growing at such a fast rate around the world. And, uh, you know, I guess we need to realize that we have to put a lot of effort in to keep up with, uh, with how well everybody's doing. Warren, you were uh, bringing up some great points about curling for Team Canada, to be a member of Team Canada. And you had, you know, discussed with me uh, last night that there's, you know, four or five things that people don't really understand with the pressure and how big it is uh, on this stage. Well, it, it is a huge pressure. And Kevin and I have both been in the experience of having played at the World Championship and, and not winning. And certainly back in my day, it was fully expected when you went to a World Championship representing Canada, you were going to be the winner. And when you didn't come home as the winner, you were looked at very strangely by people in the curling world as, what did you do? How did you guys blow it? And to a large degree, that pressure still is there, even though things have changed a lot in the last uh, 25 to 30 years. And the fact that there's a lot of Canadians, just like in hockey, that expect their curling teams at the world level to just walk out there and, and win. And it's not that easy anymore. Well, probably never was, probably after the first few years. But uh, those teams have a huge pressure on them. And I think they put pressure on themselves from that point of view as well, because of what they see around them and they hear Oh, once you put that maple leaf on your back, it's a whole different story and you're carrying the country on your shoulders and you're not to some degree. I, I think back again that uh, people have to probably look more inside. They got to start playing for themselves and for their teammates as being the most important thing. And uh, probably narrowing the focus as well, I think, is an important thing of not looking at the broad spectrum of how many games that are there. It's looking at it as a game at a time and end at a time probably a rock at a time. And I think to some degree, that's what happens that uh, they get somewhat overwhelmed. And it's unfortunate because this is a very good curling team, far better than what they have been able to display so far. They're going through some hiccups, um, but I think it's a lot, it's the pressure that's on them that uh, when you're there for the first time, which they are as well, which is very, very difficult. And they're playing against countries now who are doing things differently in Canada as well. Canada goes through a kind of a by chance selection of how teams are built. These other countries are now building teams. And uh, there's not very many of them. that They become very, very good because they're dedicating practically their entire lives to just curling. And as a result, they're getting themselves just a little bit notch up uh, in many cases. And it's so close right now with that little edge. Sometimes that's all it's take, it takes to win. So Going forward, it's going to be interesting for Canada. Uh, if we continue to do things the way that we have been for the last 40 years with regard to how we structure teams and how we put them together as to what happens, I'm not sure where that will go. Um, if any change is ever going to start to happen, I think it has to happen at probably the 17, 18, 19-year-old level and you start to take a different approach there. But as long as we continue to determine a Canadian champion through the process that we're going through right now, 
it's probably going to be difficult, I think, going forward. Bruce Mode is coming up shortly, and uh, I'm, I'm anxious to ask him how it works in Scotland, how the teams are put together. Kevin, you skipped. You were a skipper. Uh, Warren talks about uh, how much pressure there is on, on skips. I mean, they got to make, you know, every decision, Kev, let, let's talk about you. You've won. You've lost. You got to pick the lead, the second, the third. Uh, you got to be responsible for calling shots. Uh, you got to be responsible for travel, money, all that stuff. Talk about that, Kevin, how big that is. And do you think it's unfair, like Warren says, that all of those decisions and choices are put on the skipper? Well, it depends how you run your team, I guess, um, or your business. Like that was kind of what a difference with, well, how we ran everything was I, I ran it like a business and we had support staff, especially later, the last 10 or 15 years that I played. But you're right. The first time you go to a world, and I guess that's, that's one thing that Canadians need to understand is that the curling fans, you know, we're always cheering for our teams. And when it comes from international teams, teams like Bruce Mowat or, uh, you, you name the team, be it Nicodine or, or uh, Silvana Terenzoni, they get to a lot of world championships. Like they, you know, they, they can pretty much book in their next visit the next year and the next year and the next year. And, and in Canada, it's really hard to get to a world's more than one time. So of course you're very nervous your first visit uh, to the world championships and you're nervous and you're worried and you don't really know how it works. If you get a second visit, the Canadian teams tend to do better their second time, third time, fourth time. Hardly ever is, are there players that get there more than four or five times in a lifetime. So that's kind of one thing I see as, as different. Whereas, you know, we had Nicodine on the show a couple of weeks ago. Well, how many worlds has he been to? Uh, there's no pressure anymore personally for him. He, he knows how to handle it. He knows exactly what to expect. Ice conditions, everything. He, he totally understands it and he's comfortable with it. And that's where I think it makes a big difference uh, for Canadian athletes when you're going for your first time. In this case, we had uh, Brennan Botcher's team for the first time going to the World Championships and now Kerry Anderson going for the first time. You know, so people are wondering, well, what's going on? You know, and, and the last Olympics, you know, Kevin Cooey, that was his first visit. And uh, and Rachel Holman, that was her first visit to the, to the Olympics. And people wondering why they didn't succeed. Well, you know, just, just hang on. If, if they get to a second one, if Kevin gets to another Olympics or Rachel gets to another Olympics or Carrie or, or Brendan get to another Worlds, it'll, it'll be better um, because it's just they're more comfortable. I think that makes sense. I think there's another thing in play here, too, that is often overlooked, and that's the fact that Canada has been the leader at the world level for many, many years. And as a result, whenever you play another country, they're really up for that game. And I can remember back many years ago, if a team went to world championship from Europe and was able to beat Canada in that world championship, that was considered to be a success for them. So when you're playing these other teams, they're playing really, really well against you because they know they have to. And so there's no uh, easy road for a Canadian team, no matter who they're playing at a world championship because of that situation being in play as well. Curling is unique, Kevin and Warren, in the sense that the guy who's on the team gets to pick everyone else who should be on the team. That's like a guy in the Ryder Cup, not, not, not having a captain, Kevin, who selects the team saying, well, I'm Dustin Johnson. I want to pick these four or five guys. I want to do that. Or as you said, Warren, last night, it's like a, it's like a quarterback deciding who his defensive line or an offensive line is. Was there a time, Kevin, where you found yourself saying, good God, somebody else do this, okay? Somebody else <laughs> pick, pick these teams. Uh, or do you think there should be a time, Kevin, uh, where we get to that place where there is a selection committee to put together the best team? Well, I definitely don't 
uh, ever want it to become political, I, I think that would be a disaster to have somebody pick the team. You know, to have team owners, though, like in a, and so it depends what you're talking about here, Jim, I guess. If you're telling, talking about setting up curling teams. Say for the Olympics, to send a team to the Olympics. Well, okay. If you start trying to pick uh, out of uh, like a, a governing body or I don't know who's doing the, doing the picking, but obviously things will become political, becomes regional. So then, okay, well, somebody has to come from the Alberta, BC region. And then we have, well, okay, if we pick one person from there, the well, we better pick somebody from the Saskatchewan, Manitoba region. Okay, well, we got to pick somebody from the Ontario region and we, we, we can't let out. You know. And all of a sudden there's all the pressures of regionalization again, because that's, if you're having a national body, you're going to pick people from across that nation and it may end up not being the best players, but yet where players live. And that's what we don't want to see happen. And that's exactly what would happen if you had a, some sort of a national body for uh, picking the team. In hockey, you can get away with it because the bench is so long. There's so many people to pick from. But when you're talking about curling, you've only got four players that play on the ice. I hope that never happens. I, I, I will definitely do all I can do that it doesn't happen. I, I like the system the way it is. It's just uh, from a curling standpoint, it's a matter of making sure that, uh, you know, Canada, for as long as we can have the depth of teams where you have six or eight top teams across our nation that fight it out to get to the Worlds and Olympics, we'll do okay at these events, understanding that, you know, our top players might only get to one Olympics in their career. So it's a matter of trying to get them prepared in advance. When we're looking at, at what's happening with curling and, and our team's success or sometimes not, one area that I think we're lacking in, in Canada is in the coaching area. I, I, I really don't believe we have very good national coaches. And that's, a, that's something that I think we need to improve on. Warren, you must be, uh, when you hear Kevin say that, I know you disagree with this. And I know it drives you bonkers that everyone says you have to pick players from different regions in the country. Yeah, I take a little different take on it than Kevin does. I, I, I agree with him. It should not become political in any way, shape, or form. But I think, uh, and I think I also agree with him, the fact that we've got to get some really good uh, qualified people uh, at the coaching level in Canada that are able to assess talent, like, like in other sports. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a regional. But I think, again, this has to start at the ages of 18, 19. You can't start uh, doing anything in the way of building teams when people are even in their late 20s. But you start with the young people. And I think what you do is something that we started back at E7. You, you hold, first of all, development camps where you begin to assess who the talent is coming up when they're 16, 17, 18 years old. And from that point, you work with them and you try to develop teams. I, and I don't think uh, regions need to come into play. Uh, as they shouldn't now. It, it's how a good player from New Brunswick could end up being on a national team as if those boundaries are, not, are knocked down and they have an opportunity to maybe end up with maybe three good players from Ontario or two from Ontario, one from Manitoba, depending upon how it, how it all shakes out and how it, it best uh, works from the player's point of view. I can remember when we did those camps going into the 88 Olympics and there was an interview done with every player. And uh, in that interview, they were, they were asked questions of who would you like to play with or is there anybody that you simply don't think that you could could work with? And 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 as you're going forward, you, you work with all those things and you try to bring the best people together that you can, and you become more of an assistance in insistent in doing that along with a coach. Uh, than you are in many countries right now. Maybe it is dictated to, uh, which I agree with Kevin. That should never happen. 
But I think we need to start working more towards helping teams build at a young level than we are now. It's left very much to the team, and particularly the skip. And then as you're walking down the line, and Kevin's had to go through this, and we know Rachel Holman just went through it, where all of a sudden you come to a decision that maybe this player is just not working out with me, or we've got to make adjustment here of some way, shape, or form. And again, that all falls back on the skip and the team. And when you make those kind of changes, now you're looked upon as being some kind of a demon, where if there was a coach involved that was doing those type of things, uh, that, that wouldn't be the case. It would be falling on the coach's shoulders. And it certainly, again, is going to happen in consultation with team members. But I think that the whole process that we're kind of doing things the way that we did 30, 40 years ago, and it's kind of worked out for us okay, but as these other countries get better, uh, I think we're going to have to hone what we're doing better if we want Canada to stay up there at the top of the ladder. Warren, the Facebook group, speaking of lots to say, we never knew where this was going to go with the, with, with our Facebook and, and the group that we have on there, but it's exploding and uh, tons and tons of people are weighing in. It's great. What's the latest this week, Warren? Well, I first want to say thank you to everyone as we just crossed the 5,000 mark with membership, which was our goal. And uh, thank you for becoming a member of our group. Lots of good chatter going on about what's taking place in Calgary and, and in the curling world. The, the hottest topic this week has been uh, what's happening with Team Canada and why are they not performing and lots of different opinions on that one for sure. But I think that's been the uh, the biggest discussion in the last few days. So further, boys, Warren tuned me up last night, Kevin. Okay, he said, I said, uh, well, if we could select a team, Warren, if we, you know, we wanted to pick the best team for Team Canada, I, I quickly said, well, just get four of the best skips. And he said, Jim, that would be the dumbest thing ever to do on a team. <laughs> uh, you know, he said, no, you can't, you need sweepers, man. And, and it, it made me think how important first, second, and thirds are. If you had to pick a team, Kev, if you had to pick, if you could put together the best team in Canada to make a four man team, how, how would you do it? Who would you pick? This goes to the idea of, of, of a curling team. And I've, I've disagreed with the way uh, we've run the sport for a long, long time. I really think that there should be a team owner. Now, is that a corporate owner or is it a, a number of shares? Somehow there has to be an owner and a manager. Somebody needs to manage the team and take all of that choosing of players out of the skip's hands. And you try to build your team the absolute best you could. And then, of course, with your success, you, you bring in sponsors as at a professional level. And with the more and more sponsors you get, you become more of a powerful entity because you're bringing in more revenue. Obviously, you can bring in higher, better talent onto your team because you can, you can pay them more. Like it's, I know it's way different than most people think about a curling team, but I thought this way back in the late eighties, early nineties, when I just got started and, and had to make a couple of changes on the team and had to cut people. And I had to do the cutting of people. Oh man, it was awful. I've always thought that there should be an owner of these curling teams and they should be run like a business completely. And if you don't think that the second is doing their job, it's fine. No different than a manager of a, of your store. You know, if they're not doing a good job, well, you, you replace the person. That's it. And I, I really feel strongly about this and, and to run the curling teams like a hockey team, like a business. And, uh, and there's not one person on the team that's going to make these decisions. That would be the management group. And of course, with revenue, you can get a better coach and you can train harder. You can train more. You can get better at the sport. A lot like the, uh, the other countries are doing right now where 
people in, in Scotland are full-time curlers. And I had a really good talk with uh, Peter Gallant about the, the, uh, the Garlic Girls, the Korea curling team that's in the women's worlds. They are full-time curlers. That is what they do. And they're paid by their province, by their area in South Korea. So there's, there's no reason you can't run a curling team like that in Canada. It wouldn't be funded by the government. It would be funded by the company. As you build up your business, you build up your brand, the market will tell you what you can afford and what you can't afford. I know it's way different, uh, but I, I, I kind of ran our team like that. Unfortunately, I was the manager. I did, that, that's what I want. You know, I think is really important to have that change. And uh, the curlers become curlers, the general manager, the owner, the coach. They're the ones that are going to run the team from a standpoint of, uh, of the players. Warren? How did you guys handle it back in your dorm? Were you ever in that awful position to have to tell someone you're no longer part of the team because you're not good enough? Well, it didn't go much different then than it does now, and it was difficult. And I was involved in a couple of situations, and in, in, in one case uh, was me leaving a skip. And, uh, man, that was never a wound that was never healed, um, and there was no need for that to be the case uh, because if we were looking at the thing properly professionally, then everybody should understand that, yeah, I don't think this is working anymore, but uh, I'm going to move on. But it, it has never worked that way. And there's a need for a whole change in how we're looking at this. If curling is going to move forward, we all want it to. And as I, as I take a look at things, we haven't changed much since probably the 70s or 80s as how teams are put together, how they're all structured. It goes down to even a five-person team. And we introduced alternate players back in the briar in the early 80s because you had a strange situation there. If someone was it not able to continue or play that the team had to play with three players. And if they couldn't feel three players, they had to default the game. So there was no backup and there was nobody else you could bring in. And it's also an issue with an alternate player of, of maybe you need to rest somebody because they're injured or whatever the case may be. And uh, kind of thought that would become more of a, a standard of practice, but it hasn't. And I think as, as we're moving forward, if all this is going to change the way everybody wants it to, We've got to stay taking, start taking a new approach. And it's not going to start again with the older guys. You've got to start with 17, 18, 19-year-olds. And I think the first thing is, again, you've got to start holding camps where you start building a book on the players as to what their abilities are and how those abilities are going to change as they go along. And that's the whole aspect of where it's going to begin. And I think what Kevin is suggesting, I, I think ultimately, yes, that's where we want to go is where these teams are professional operations and there's a, a funding position for them, et cetera. But it's got to start somewhere, and I think it's got to start with the youngsters. And uh, whether that's going to happen and how it's going to take place, I don't know. But uh, possibly things happening at the top end quicker than people may anticipate may force that to happen. Well done, boys. I'll tell you who's not overwhelmed is Bruce Mowat. Okay, uh, here's all he's done. Uh, he won the World Juniors in 2016. He won the University Ed Games. Uh, he's now getting ready for the World Mixed Doubles, which he qualified for. He won the first of uh, these last two slams, Kevin, Prince's Auto, and he won the Humpties. Uh, and he was in the final in, in the men's worlds. What is this guy doing, Kev? Let's talk to him and find out what's going on. Uh, this kid has got to be the hottest thing in curling in a long time. Uh, no question. He's uh, un unbelievable at the age he's at to win all that he's winning right now. He's on a major role. And, uh, yeah, why not talk to the, to the guy in charge? Warren, you think it's the most complete team you've seen in a long time? from lead right through to the skip. 
I like their abilities for the positions they're playing, particularly the, the sweepers in the front end. They seem to be really tuned in and in touch, and they're both strong and efficient guys, and I think it's, it's a well-balanced team from everything I can see. Fantastic. Like I said, who's not overwhelmed is, is Bruce Moore. The reason I'm laughing, because <laughs> I always say we hear footsteps of our guests. You're about to hear footsteps, and it's me going upstairs to try and figure out my email because I'm going to lose this. So <laughs> you guys, you guys got to bring on. Bruce Mowat right now. I'll be back in who knows how long, Kevin and Warren. Yep. Trying to come yeah. off yep. his own red. Comes off the red. Kicks the yellow. On, yeah, and on. they will win yes. both slam events in the bubble. What a game. What a shot. Incredible. Needed two, got two. Bruce Mowat of Scotland defeats Brad Gushu. Come on. And the fans, all of the players, happy to see what a well-played championship final. All right. Well, we've got a fantastic guest coming up here right now, and it's Bruce Mowat, kind of the the king of the bubble. How are you, Bruce? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> well, we're doing all right. Yeah, you just got back from Calgary, of course, and uh, the World Championships was a huge success for your team getting to the final. And then, of course, the Grand Slam, the back-to-back -back Grand Slams, which is an incredible story. But first things first, when did you get home from being in the bubble? <laughs> it's uh, been about a week now. Uh, we uh, flew out on the Monday, so we had the Sunday night after the final to kind of have a wee celebration. We flew out on the Monday and got home on the Tuesday morning. Well, I think you should have celebrated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's a little bit different inside of a bubble, trying to have some fun and, and, and celebrate. is just, I guess, getting in one room and, and having Hammy McMillan order up the uh, festivities. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we managed to cope quite well with it. We obviously were... Uh, over the moon for the, the second win so we we really were probably a bit shocked really but we managed to have a good uh, few drinks and we were enjoying ourselves anyway so the the flight on the Monday maybe wasn't as fun as we had hoped. <laughs> well let's talk about your bubble because uh, yeah you're like over the moon I guess that's a safe way to <laughs> to put it but to win back-to-back -back grand slams. Now so you're 26 years old so growing up the slams have been around for as long as you can remember. I know in curling world, slams aren't very old, only about 20 years, but you're only 26 years old. So I guess I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on being a, first of all, getting into this, the slam rotation. And then of course, doing so well and winning back to back. And I guess the impact that has on your team. For as long as I can remember in curling, the slams have been going and it's been something to look up to and to, really try and achieve as in like to get to it would be a great honor and then the year I won the world juniors was maybe the first time that they sent a team to the champions cup and I'm not even sure if the champions cup was a thing before that but we won the juniors we got invited to the champions cup in 2016 and that was our first kind of taste of the slams which as soon as you kind of get that uh, chance to play it something as amazing as the slams then you don't ever want to give it up and you're trying as hard as you can to try and get into that top 15 in the world to get that kind of constant um, invitation to go and play in all these amazing events across Canada and then with the guys and me we started our team in 2017 
and uh, we were I don't know maybe top fifty in the world at that point, and we came over to Canada playing two Oakville events, and we managed to uh, win them both, and that kind of gave us the boost that we needed to get into the slams. Uh, we went to our first slam in uh, Sault Ste. Marie. We ended up winning it, which it was <laughs> unbelievable at that time for us. And we we went into play, I think, maybe three or four of the slams that year. So from that point on, we've never really looked back and we've enjoyed every moment we've had at each and every slam that we've played. Well, Bruce, again, congratulations on some magnificent accomplishments at the age of 26. You guys are, are a super team and certainly uh, I think you've got a lot of winning ahead of you. I've noticed some interesting things about you guys and listening to you in RF mics as to how you analyze things and certainly what other people have said that you've kind of taken the game to some degree to a different level. The term I've heard is intellectual curiosity. I know you're into analytics and uh, data statistics with regard to curling. And I guess I have a couple of questions. The first one is, what exactly are you guys doing that might be a little different from the norm when it comes to analytics? Um, it's a good question. I mean, we're not, I don't think we're rewriting the book or doing anything crazy. I think we're just really paying attention to the data that um, is being provided to us. And we're really trying to focus on what we are best at, which seems to be when we're up in the game, then we're we're really quite solid. We don't tend to let people in or back into the game as much as possible or those kind of things. Like we're, It's hard to tell you what we're doing that we're not even that sure. <laughs> we're just kind of trying really hard to be aware of like every situation out there and it seems to be working for us. Jim Jerome just came to the door, so let's, let's <laughs> let in Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> Come on in, Jim. Yeah, I apologize. So, where have you been? Well, you know me and computers, you guys. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry to our guest. I don't even know what to do. Okay, and uh, Jim, meet Bruce. Bruce, meet Jim. Hi, Jim. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you, Bruce, because you're the greatest thing to come out of Scotland since Braveheart. <laughs> What's the pressure like for you, Bruce, in Scotland? I mean, as much as I make fun of that. Quite seriously, with all all you're doing is winning right now. How's the country? They've grabbed you by storm. What's happening for you? Yeah, I guess a lot of um, attention is kind of we put our way more in the curling community than outside of it. But we are starting to see some kind of media attention, which is great. A lot of it's normally focused on Eve and the girls. um, But we're obviously glad to have some of it and to try and boost curling in, in Scotland as well. Beautiful. All right, so back to our question, Bruce, and we were talking a bit about analytics and statistics, and I've been of the opinion for quite some time that curling simply doesn't collect enough data on its teams, on its players, and there's a lot of things that, uh, from an information point of view, that could be expanded upon that uh, would able to put it more like other sports. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think there's enough data being compiled, or do you think there should be more? I always think that there could be more. The stuff that we're gathering it's like on each team. So it's really good that we can go into a game and we know if we're playing Nicholas, we'll try and do a certain thing that's maybe different when we, we play Brendan or all these different things that we're, you're never going to be able to have enough data, in my opinion. But what we are doing right now is obviously is quite a lot. And yeah, as I say, it has worked for us and we're quite happy to have all that information that we're playing against the greatest teams in 
in the world right now and we're hopefully going to be seen as one of them soon if not now i i think you already are being viewed <laughs> as one of them hey yeah. the let's i want to go a little bit further on this because mike harris and i we, we talk all the time uh, about all kinds of things and one thing that uh, that we've been talking about lately is, is with your team is obviously how quick you've grown to be one of the top teams in the world. You're only 26 years old, so that's very young. So I'd like to hear, I guess, I want to talk about your training because your team all throw it very similar. Um, and you made a statement after you won the players, which was very interesting on the interview, your championship interview, that COVID might have helped your team because it gave you more time to train and, and get stronger and get better. So mechanically, let's talk about mechanics first. Your team throws it, all four of your members throw it very similar. So I guess from a practice standpoint, we have a lot of young people that listen to this podcast. I guess, how do you approach a practice session in regards to trying to throw the rock, all four of you similar? We do a lot of individual sessions with, with our coach, Alan, Hannah, and we always try and have said for the past few years that we want to be able to throw it the same. It kind of makes my job easier as a skip, so I know exactly what's coming down the ice towards me rather than having to know three different releases plus my own. So that's something that we really focused on this year was to make sure that we're, if not throwing it similar, or at least pretty close to each other. But what we started to do in our individual sessions was to notice how many rotations we were doing, how many, or if we were sliding a wee bit narrow, were we backing it? If we were sliding a wee bit high, were we still going to try and throw it good? Like all these kind of things that would probably come natural to most teams and then um, we're trying to take it a wee bit further by making sure that we're always being positive we're always trying to give it that five six rotations where we're doing those things that's maybe a bit different to what you normally see I think like teams were mentioning that quite a lot to us when we were at the world so the, the grand slams I don't think a lot of people had done or seen that many rotations and we're not saying that it's the right thing to do. I guess what's the, what's the purpose of that with Alan Hanna, your your coach, and mm -hmm. well, I guess why would you put that many rotations on? What's the thinking behind it? What's the purpose? Well, we think we can manipulate it a bit more with the sweeping as well. Like yeah. if you've got a bit more uh, curl or it's straighter, sorry, then you're you're going to get a late finish with the rotation. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a, a real science or not. Like I'm I'm not a, a genius at by any stretch of the imagination but it's just what we've seen and we're getting that late finish i think the worlds and the slams ice was perfect for our team it was really straight for hits and it was curling that four feet consistently so we were really able to kind of dial into the ice and we were able to curl it when we can because we've got two of the best sweepers in the world i think so do you feel that your directional sweeping is a little more effective with the mo more rotations is that part of your thinking yeah, I think so. That's it's what I'm seeing. But then again, you're seeing like some amazing sweepers in different teams like um, Brad and Carrick. They're really able to move that stone when they need to and they're really able to hold it straight. So it's maybe just the sweeping, but we're trying to figure out if it's got anything to do with the rotations that we're putting on as well. You know, curling is unique in the way that you don't have to try out to make a team. It's picked. You get to go out and pick your team. At least that's the way it is in Canada for sure where Skip just puts a team together, and again, they get to select whoever they want. How did you select your, your present team, uh, Bruce? And is that the way it works over there too in Scotland to put a team together, to put the best team together? Yeah, at the time, 
I was actually the last member to be part of the team. So oh. uh, I'm, not <laughs> in, I'm not entirely sure how it came about, but I think Grant and Bobby were in conversation. They ended up living together straight after we joined as a team. And Hammy is obviously Grant's cousin, so uh, that was quite a natural pick. And I had been playing with Bobby for a while. I was playing mixed doubles at the time with Gina Aitken at a world championship, and I had just got home and got a text from Bobby saying, Grant wants to meet up with you to have a conversation. We have quite an exciting team opportunity. So go and see what he has to say. And then uh, me and Grant had that kind of conversation with which or who's going to skip and who's going to call the game and who's going to throw last and all those things. And then it was quite a difficult conversation to have because Grant was an amazing skip and had just come to a, a slam as well. So that's how it kind of came about. Well, good pick. <laughs> good pick by, <laughs> by them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you had to set your team up that way. That's a very interesting way to do it because once you get in a national program, I'd like to hear a little bit about the Scottish national uh, program and how it's set up because in Canada, we don't, it's just way different as to how you, you know, you, you make your team and then you build up points towards where you settle out in Canada, be it one, two, three, four, five, six. But it's different in Scotland, isn't it? As to how you, you become a, like a national team, how you get to world championships and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, it's actually changed since we joined as a team. When we were doing it, we obviously got to pick our team, but now it's turned into a, a selection as individuals and then you become a team when you get into the programme. It's done through the kind of panel of British curling or whoever's on the panel at the time, but the panel's now Nigel Hall, which is our performance director, a guy called Kenny Moore, who does all the analytics, and uh, David Murdoch, who's obviously our national coach. And they have selected individual athletes, and then they combine the teams. So it's it's a bit different to what uh, the Canadian system is, but I've not had to go through it yet because I've not changed my team in, what, four years now? So until that day comes, I don't really know how I'd feel. <laughs> Well, I think it's safe to say you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get involved in curling, Bruce? Uh, yeah, I think I have quite a weird story. So none of my family have ever curled. It's just something that my dad had read in the newspaper uh, saying that the junior club in Edinburgh were looking for members. So I think I was six at the time and my dad took my brother, who is two years older than me, along to try it. And I kind of had to sit and watch and look through the glass and Colin looked like he was having a lot of fun. So I got very jealous. And um, a year later, I forced my parents to let me go. We were not meant to start until we we're eight, but at the age of seven, I, I got onto the ice and I never really, really stepped off the ice, to be honest. So you're playing in the world mixed doubles. This is another part of the sport that you've certainly been an integral part of. What's your opinion of mixed doubles as far as how do you enjoy it compared to four-person? And what do you think the future at the world level might be for mixed doubles? Well, personally, I love mixed doubles. I think it's a great sport. I've been playing it since, I think, 2012 was the first time I played it. I used to play it with Gina Aitken, and we, I think, went to four world championships together. We were really young at the time, so I'm not really sure how we got on. I think we got to one semi-final and uh, came fourth in the end, but I've loved the sport. It is kind of, for me, it's really exciting. It's fun that I get to sweep. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I get to kind of move around more. So I'm, I'm in a t-shirt, which is nice. But like, it's just, it's a totally different 
energy that I need to bring when I play mixed doubles. Like when I'm skipping, I love to be uh, calm. I don't like to get too hyped because I, I think that affects my game. But in mixed doubles, I need to have that energy to be able to sweep as much as possible or to throw the kind of run back quadruple that you're probably going to have to face at some point in your your mixed doubles career but yeah I think just knowing angles and um, playing everything into the middle is it's just so exciting every end is different and I love it. So the Olympics are coming up here in less than a year and of course you're certainly going to be hitting with the four-person game is there a chance for you to also consider mixed doubles or is that not on the table? It comes down to selection for us so again I'm not really sure but if um, me and Jen do all right at the mixed doubles in Aberdeen just coming up then obviously Great Britain would get that spot and then it would go down to a selection I'm pretty sure the British curling are allowing men or women to compete in both formats I think if I got the opportunity I would definitely say yes it's maybe a different conversation I need to have with Jen and I'm not sure if she would be the same but for me definitely I want to uh, get any opportunity to play for two Olympic gold medals rather than just the one. I think it's a great opportunity. Hey, Warren, I want to ask you a question, Warren. Yeah. So with Bruce interested in doing both, when you actually invented the mixed doubles for the Olympic Games, is that what you were thinking, Warren, that that, uh, that athletes would have maybe a chance to win more than one medal at one Olympic Games? Was that kind of what you were thinking back in the day? I don't know if we thought that far down the line because when we, we invented it, it was for the Continental Cup. And, of course, the Olympics was a, a second thing that happened. But, you know, I would think that if it's possible, I would certainly like to see people to be able to do both. But I think it's got to be up to the individual and, and up to the country. Certainly, as Bruce is saying, this is going to be a selection. Am I correct in assuming then that there's no type of playoff to determine the, a representative for Scotland that be selected by your selection committee? Yeah, no playoff. It's just uh, selection. Um, we've kind of had our playoffs, I suppose. This is like our playoffs was almost to get selected for the Worlds. We had three events over the whole season or this season, and that kind of deemed me and Jen as the team that was selected. So the criteria is pretty much the same as what it would be for the Worlds, uh, for the Olympics, as what it was for the Worlds. I mean, so there is a possibility that you could be selected for both then, as far as you are aware. Yeah, good. Yes. Huh, that'd be exciting. Wouldn't that be exciting? Wow. <laughs> I'd love that. I love, I love mixed doubles. Oh yeah. Same. <laughs> well, I was just going to say not a big roll of the dice. I'm going to, you know, if I was doing it, I'll pick Bruce Mowat. He's doing pretty good these <laughs> days. Okay. Let's throw him in there. Uh, Bruce, I, is curling full time for you? Uh, are, are you, are you doing this round the clock and, and, and when you're not curling, how do you, how do you spend your time? Yeah, it's full-time for me. I've, I've been full-time since 2018. When I finished university, I decided to really try and focus on uh, reaching the Olympics with the guys that I'm playing with. And I think three out of the three out of the four of us now are full-time. Uh, Bobby was still going through university and he finished uh, a couple of years back. But Hammy has a part-time job in the curling development side. So uh, he loves that. And he's um, obviously a really bubbly, really energetic um, person to uh, have um, and trying to encourage people to come and try curling. So uh, yeah, three out of the four of us are full-time. I was looking, I said, well, there there he goes. He took some time off to, to go to university, but when you were there, you won the university at curling <laughs> championship too. Who'd you beat there in the final? Were we in there? Were we trying to give you a hard time, Canada? 
Yes, you were there. I think his name was Aaron Squires, maybe? He was a really good team from Ontario. They didn't reach the final, but I think they were maybe in the semis. But we played Patrick Mabergs, which is Sophia Mabergs' brother. We beat them in the final. The mixed doubles comes up when for you guys? And do you think they'll be able to do it? Is it tentative with all the COVID stuff or a day by day that you're waiting to hear about that? Uh, yeah, so Scotland's actually doing pretty well in terms of cases. We've just pretty much opened up everything again to an extent, I suppose. We've not got restaurants are back open and shops are back open. So I'm pretty confident that we'll be able to go ahead. It's just if countries are able to travel into Scotland, that would probably be the biggest problem. But uh, for me right now, I'm just going to probably go and watch some TV, chill out, because it's <laughs> five o'clock here and I don't really have much to do for the rest of the day. <laughs> are, you ne- are you a Netflix guy? Well, I've been watching, I think it's Shit's Creek, which is oh, um, a bit scary to say. But <laughs> the best. The best. <laughs> um, yeah, I got uh, some of my Canadian friends told me to watch it and I love it. So yeah, I've been watching that a lot and I'm probably going to go back and watch it now, to be honest. You gotta, yeah, you gotta. Well, listen, Bruce, thanks a million for doing this. Uh, Shit's Creek is fantastic, by the way. I've watched every show twice. It was so good. So uh, thanks very much for coming on. All you're doing is winning these days. So uh, the mixed doubles, uh, this show, if if other skips are smart, they'd be listening to you these days about what you're doing. Congratulations on a fantastic career so far and all these victories that you've done. And uh, hopefully we can talk to you down the road, Bruce. Yeah, thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Thanks, Bruce. Good luck. Hey, thanks a lot, Bruce. Huh? Cheers. Is there any uh, editing to do at all? Or <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, you guys. Well, if you guys would stop making mistakes, it would be fine. <laughs> Well, that was a good show. What a great interview. Uh, thank you. For, first of all, thank you for Nolan Thiessen for coming on to give us that update, uh, to squeeze us in. We really appreciate that. Hopefully this gets better, Kevin and Warren. To get on to a little lighter thing, Kevin and Warren, what's your prediction, Kevin, about the top six teams? Who's going to make it through? So uh, I think I feel fairly uh, confident that uh, Alina Kovaleva, RCF, Team Switzerland, Team Sweden, uh, will all be there. That's the three. And then the skip for Team China is very, very young, but really talented, like a young phenom coming up. So that's somebody that I, I think Team China will be there in the end. Eve Muirhead, she's just too good. <laughs> she'll, she'll be there at the end. And then I think the sixth place will be uh, either U.S. or Canada. And, and which one? I, I don't know. It's just it's going to be really tight. And uh, so I'm kind of going with seven teams and uh, a question mark on the sixth one between Canada and the U.S. Uh, Warren, when we talked about curling and picking a team, the question is, are other teams playing great against Canada or are they playing poorly, Warren? I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, certainly, I've seen the games in the early going where these other teams were playing exceptional. I thought particularly when they played RCF that uh, that team made some exceptional shots uh, and Canada just wasn't able to counter them as, as a result slipped behind. But uh, I think it's been a little bit of both. I, I think in today's world, Canada's got to be reach sharp there every game, every shot. And if you're not, uh, you could be in some trouble. And I think that's what they've been facing. You both have to pick a winner. Okay, we'll leave Canada out of it for a sec. Kevin, who's going to win it? Oh, boy. How do you been, How do you not bet on Anna Hasselborg? <laughs> Just, she's so good. That'll be yours. Warren, you got to pick one. 
Well, I guess if I was to simply look at uh, what one team has shown us so far, I, I would suggest to Anna Hasselberg, but I, I think there's so many teams that are so very close. Um, Switzerland, I think they're, they're the defending champions from 2019, and I think they've been playing pretty well as of late, and they certainly could be there in the finish as well. All the teams that we've talked about, uh, Scotland, China, that young team again coming forward, RCF could all be out there. And we hope that Canada can uh, pull some things together to be part of the final group as well. But uh, it's hard not to go with Sweden uh, on the way things are sitting at the moment. You were sitting on the fence there. Oh, I just wanted you to pick one team. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, it's uh, I mean, I can look at, uh, you know, on Sunday evening, Sweden had a tough, tough go against China. Again, that's, as Kevin said, young team just coming along. But uh, you don't have to slip much before one of these teams will, will step on you. And uh, who knows? Drop us an email, insidecurling at gmail.com. Uh, good luck to everyone for the rest of the week. We'd like to thank uh, some people. Uh, including Rod Paulson and his company, In-House Strategies, for all the great work on our social media and, and marketing, along with our team at Sportsnet, uh, producer of the show, Warren Hansen and Amal Delic, uh, mixed and sound uh, designed by Amal. God, he's doing a lot, okay? He's doing a lot for us. And uh, Jonathan Brazo is handling a lot of our social media. Also, Inside Curling, that's us. We're reaching out to curling clubs all over the world and inviting you to contact us and ask to set up a one-hour Zoom call uh, with myself, Kevin, and Warren, to discuss anything you would like about curling. We've done uh, several of these up to now, and they're very successful. Please keep in mind we're doing this on a limited basis to see how it goes, and if this is something Inside Curling should consider to offer going forward. Get in touch, even if you are a curling group or league. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, very good, boys. Uh, it's time to get out of here. Kevin, you can uh, go lie down or something. You must be exhausted. Uh, <laughs> When do you think we'll see you back, Kevin? Oh, I, I do not know that. I'm, uh, my next stop is to go get tested again right away. <laughs> yeah, very good. Okay, Warren, great job again. Thanks for all you're doing. Uh, Warren and Kevin, uh, really appreciate it, guys, and lining up those guests. Kevin, that's fantastic. Uh, Bruce Mowat, looks like no one is going to stop this. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, very good. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. You've been listening to Inside Curling. We'll be back next week with another show. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim. You're welcome, fellas.